Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. First Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. We have been preaching through our um, crest. You see them down the, down the walls. And uh, since you made it here today, if you have not been here, maybe not been here in a while, you landed on a really cool week because we're talking about brass knuckles this week, which is exciting. That's, that's exciting for church talk, you know? Like brass knuckles, we get to talk about that? Yes, let's do. So that's what we're on. This is the last part of our, um, our crest series. And it's this, uh, it's this idea of self-discipline and where the brass knuckles come from. And that is from this verse right here inside of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race... All the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown, a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is an interesting start for this verse because, let me read it one more time, just the first one. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? Let's be honest. We've all been to some races where not all the, ranner, the runners ran, right? A one-mile fun run, for instance, or a couch-to-5K type of situation, right? Not all runners are actually running. You can go to the gym, you can look at the treadmills, and you know what? Treadmills are built so that you can do anything. But you do not get the option to walk on a treadmill and call yourself a runner. You don't. It's just because, here's why, check this out and remember it for the future, words mean things. One more time, just because I feel it's important. Words mean things. You can't say, guess what, I saw a hot air balloon when you mean a dog. You don't get the option to say, hey, guess what, that is a cute hot air balloon. It's a golden retriever. Whatever, it's the same thing to me. It's not this. Words mean things. All runners run. Suggesting everyone who is in the race is running and is a competitor. All runners run. If you want to call yourself a runner, you must run. You must. That's the rule. If you want to call yourself something, you must be that something. That's what it is. It goes on. So run in such a way as to get the prize, but only one gets the prize. What Paul is doing here is he is talking in in metaphorical terms of what it is like to be inside of the Christian experience. Now, check this out. Paul specifically says the Christian life is like a what? Race, right? 
And in all races, all runners, what? Run. And we call it the Christian walk. <laughs> My gosh. Are you serious? So how are you doing in your Christian walk? You should be having a Christian race is what you should be doing. But you're not. You're having a Christian walk. It's a stroll. It's like, eh, I got nowhere to be. I mean, no one's really pressuring me for anything. And Paul never says, so how's your Christian hike going? How is it? But you know what? Here's what happens. The outside world looks at us and they're just like, they're, they're, they're really not in a hurry. They're, they're not super passionate about much. Anytime a, good a fight breaks out, they're nowhere around, you know? Anytime there's a good race, what are they doing? Just taking it easy. The Lord's going to provide. He's going to provide. There's no race in them. And the world kind of sees that. And I think they look into our lives at times and they're like, it looks kind of weak. Just saying. Christian experience looks kind of weak. If you understand it just from the outside, just nominally, standing outside looking in the windows, and people come up and they would, they would look at what we're doing. Here's what we just did this morning. We had a little bitty cup, right? And a little bitty cracker. We sang a bunch of love songs to Jesus. Me and Jesus sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G, <laughs> right? Then you sat and you listened to me read some very, very uh, um, uh, motivational words. You didn't say anything. You didn't dare disagree. You didn't fight back. You just accepted it. And then you left, and there was no revolution that happened anywhere. If you're standing on the outside, you would think to yourself, it seems harmless. And you know what? I've, this is what I've come to. One of the greatest insults that I love to hand out people, and I know this is terrible, but sometimes I do it, is I refer to some men as harmless men. They're harmless. Because to me, that's worse than anything you can call a man. What kind of guy is he? <laughs> He's harmless. Harmless. He's harmless. That's what it... Because that's not what a man should be. You know, a man... I'm not saying a man should be harmful, but I'm saying he shouldn't be harmless. Puppies are harmless. Caterpillars. A moth. Annoying? Yes. Harmless? Harmless. From the outside, does the Christian experience look harmless? I hope not. I mean, I'm sure it does. We say stuff like, turn the other cheek. And we kind of carry these other ideas. Well, you know what? I'm supposed to be nice. I'm not supposed to hurt people's feelings or say mean things. And it's kind of like... <laughs> That really isn't the, the verbiage that's used to describe the Christian experience. One person wins a race. Everybody else is a loser. I love it. And you know what you get a chance to do? Try again. That's what you get a chance to do. Well, shouldn't everyone get a prize? Shouldn't you find somewhere else to go to church? Because that's not really good. We should all get prizes. Yeah, we should all get prizes. And you know what? I'm sure Jesus will make sure of it if we do our job. If we do what we're supposed to do. 
And it's kind of cool because Paul's metaphor begins to kind of break down on the whole race thing. Run, he says, run. Don't you know every single person who is a competitor in the games, in the games that he's talking about, um, the word he uses instead of race, he uses stadia or stadium. Uh, basically a furlong is what it is. And it's the idea of a track. Everybody who is in a race, who is, who is competing, is a competitor, a contender. The word that he uses is agonize. I like going to the gym. I do like going to the gym. There's some mornings that I love going to the gym and I love working hard and I love to agonize whatever it is I'm doing. I really enjoy it. The hard sweating. Uh, there's other mornings that I go in and I am on a walk. That's what I'm doing. I'm just walking. Why am I here? Because I, I want to stay in the habit of getting up and coming to this place. At whatever time of day, I want to make sure that I get there. I got to continue to do this thing. So I have to go and be a part of something and do something. The word here is agonize. They go into strict training. If that's also compared to the Christian walk, what part of your Christian life is agonizing? Because here's what's crazy. The things that we complain about in life that we say are agonizing have nothing to do with the Christian experience. It's my boss. I mean, not my boss. My boss is fine, you know, but... It's my family. It's my fill-in-the-blank. It's my job. It's I don't have purpose. I can't figure out what I'm supposed to do. I don't understand my kids. I don't know what I'm supposed to do financially. Whatever the thing is, I can't find my direction in life. These are the kind of things that, what, what does that have to do with the Christian experience? Most of these are coming from somewhere else, external forces. And the things we say we agonize about, what Paul is saying is agonize towards God. Agonize towards him. Make these steps towards him that are hard steps. So here's what's cool about the metaphor. It begins to break down. Verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Here's what's kind of cool. The award for anybody who competes in these games and then wins, they get a grass wreath a grass wreath but see here's what's crazy i know you probably don't think very much about when you put your pants on and then you put a belt on some people don't wear belts some people have a lot of belts i have a few belts and i don't really think about belts but you know what there's a certain type of sport you can play and if you win they'll give you a belt just think about how weird it is for just a second a belt you get a great big gaudy belt that you'll never be able to fit through one single belt loop ever. That's it. In the UFC, if you win a fight, they give you a belt you can never wear. You have to hang it up. It's, it does not, it's not functional, not at all. Like a grass wreath. What do you get? A grass wreath. What's it gonna do? Wilt. Probably fall apart and you can turn it into potpourri if you want to, but that's all it is. That's it. It's gonna fall apart. And then Paul says, but we do not strive for a crown that is corruptible, but incorruptible. Huffington Post put together an article not long ago, and it was entitled something like, 
do you really, really want to live forever? Like that was, the, that was the article. Do you really, really want to live forever? Because this kind of goes back to the first part. When you begin to talk about Christianity, the, I don't know what the statistics are. I tried to find it because I've seen something like it before. Heaven itself does not really get all that much um, excitement in people. Like, who wants to go to heaven? It's better than hell. Like, that's kind of where people land. It's like, so what really, what's it going to be like? Oh, it's going to be beautiful. Is it? I don't know. But see, it's kind of like the winner's circle. Or it's kind of like the finish line. You see, what we do here is not about location. It's not, we don't finish this for location. It's what happens at the location. It's what we get at the location, at the destination, at the finish line. Heaven versus any other place is not really going to matter all that much. If God is there, it's not going to matter all that much. It's not like if God leaves heaven, it's like, so now where do you want to go? Go see God or go to heaven. I don't think heaven is heaven if God isn't there. So it's not the location, but it's what happens when you get there. I got to speak to a, uh, to a group of high school kids uh, this last Thursday in Nowata, Oklahoma. And so I'm, 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 I was very excited about going down there and, and talking to them. And, and I get there and I pull up in, the, in the, pull up in the parking lot. And I'm like 10 minutes late, if you can imagine that. <laughs> so I'm like 10 minutes late. And... Uh, I was supposed to be there. I was supposed to speak at seven, but I get there at like 10 after six because they wanted to eat and play dodgeball and all that. And I'm like, I'm not playing dodgeball. So it's whatever. So I get there. It's about 10 after six. And there are, there are two cars in a parking lot, two. I'm like, well, this is going to go good, you know? So how are both of you doing? Like, this is what's in my mind. Like, I drove 95 miles to speak to these two kids. We could have done it by Skype, you know? This is, okay. So I open up the door to go into the church. The place is a circus. Absolute bananas. Absolute bananas. Kids everywhere. Everywhere in this place. And I'm like, adults. There's people cooking. There's people making, uh, making food. They're setting up tables. They're getting out dodge. People everywhere. Two pickups in the parking lot. These people don't all live together, do they? They don't live here, do they? This isn't Waco, is it? This is way, this is way weird. Like, how do they get here? What are they? So I come in and they're just like, hey, good to see you. And I know the guy who's there. He's like, let me introduce you to some people. So he introduced me to these people. And so we, he says, oh, okay, so it's your turn. Would you, would you speak? And I was like, yeah. And so he says, uh, um, this is Jared. I knew him a long time ago when he was a kid. And, you know, Jared, go ahead. And so I, I start talking to him. And the, the, main, the main idea of what I was trying to get, uh, get across to these kids was the idea that in a world that we live in, they're just constantly, constantly yelling, be safe, be safe, be safe, be safe, be safe. We are called to live dangerously in some sort of radical lifestyle that's supposed to be different in a world where danger is like, like we can't have gravel on our playgrounds anymore. We have to have rubber mulch, right? Like that way, if you fall down, all you get is a black spot on your shirt, not an abrasion like when we were kids, you know? This is the kind of, that's kind of what I mean. And so I'm talking to these kids about this whole thing of, it's kind of like, 
It's a painful, it's a painful experience to find out that you're harmless. And I said, and the idea of radical means to kind of push against the norm. But the opposite of radical, the antonyms for radical are these, non-essential, unimportant, secondary, safe. Kind of pounding away at this point. And I stopped and I looked down and I'm trying to get, to, I'm trying to convey these ideas to this kid that listen, God did not make you to be harmless. It was not at all his thought process. You know what? I think you would make a, a harmless person. That, yeah, that would be good. No. He made people who are creative. He made people who are organized. He made people who are leaders. He made people who are muscle. This is how he made us. We are not harmless. So I begin to look at the kids and I'm telling them one by one, do you know that you're important? Kids are like, hmm. They kind of make eye contact for a minute and then they look down. Do you know that you're essential? And they look down and I go on to the next one and there's this little girl who's sitting in the front. I don't know how old she is. Skinny little girl, black stringy hair. She sit down in the front. And I lean down and I look at her and I said, do you know that you're important? And I get about, do you know? And I look at her and she gives me this smile like, I cannot wait to hear what you're going to tell me I am. And she's just looking at me. And I get choked up and I can't hardly continue and I stop. Ah! Do you know that you're important? She just smiles. It's not the location that matters. It's what you get when you get to the location that matters. Because when we get in the presence of God, here's what's gonna happen. You're going to hear things you've never heard in your entire life, like this young girl, Jade, who was sitting in the front at this little Oklahoma meeting. She obviously heard something that she has never heard before in her life. And part of what heaven is and the prize and the crown that we're talking about is that when we get there, we're going to hear things we have never heard before. It's going to be this moment to where somehow your track record is carved completely off of you and thrown away like an old carcass. And God looks at you and he says, do you know how proud I am of who you are and how hard you work? We'll hear things we've never heard before in our life. We'll see things that we've never seen before in our life. It's not about the location. It's what happens at the location. Heaven is not just this, oh, wouldn't it be great to live in a great city? Listen, we live here. What do we know? You know? What do we know about living in great cities? Like, the, is this good? Yeah, it's fine. Is it like other ones? Yeah, it's probably the same. I don't know. But getting there, what happens at the destination is what's important. But it's something that we have to strive for. We have to agonize for. And then it's really interesting because now Paul's metaphor begins to break down. Here's why. Two reasons. Running is a thing that you can make your body do and your body has to kind of go do it with you, right? Running is a thing that you just kind of 
You have to have your body's cooperation to go run. You don't get the option of waking up in the morning and saying, I'd like to go run, and your body say, not today, Junior. It doesn't happen. What happens is this. Your body might wake up and be like, man, I wish I could do something. And you're like, listen, we're going to have donuts, and we're going to have coffee today. That's what we're going to do first before we do anything else, before we run, before we do anything else. It, running is not a thing that is really inflicting any pain. Here's another reason. When you go out and you run, when you get tired, what do you do? Stop. Running is a thing that you do to you, right? Where boxing, on the other end, is something that happens to you. Correct? Listen, you can't call yourself a boxer if all you're doing is throwing your arms around, right? You know when you know you're a boxer? Of course you do. Of course you know when you're a boxer. You're standing across from somebody and you're thinking to yourself like, I don't think I could smell anything anymore. You know? Okay, for some reason my neck hurts. Like, wow. Now you know you're a boxer. How do you know? Because your nose is over here. Now you know. That's why. That's how you know you're a boxer. My, my uh, oldest... She just got into a striking, uh, little striking uh, cl class with her, with her trainer. So they got the focus mitts and they're doing combinations and all this. And she came home the other day. She's just like, oh, I'm so excited about this boxing. And I was like, you want to spar? And she was just like, I don't know what you mean. And I'm like, well, you know, there's some of the guys around here have done some of the, the boxing, the MMA. And so I got to kind of be a part of that with them. And it was kind of fun. And so, so do you want to you box? And she's like, yeah, let's box. I'm like, okay. I'm like, now listen. Go easy. And she's like, me go easy? You're the one that could hurt me. I'm like, yeah, babe. Here's the deal about boxing. Guys who've boxed a long time, they know how hard they're going to hit. People like you who hit hard, only hit hard, you know? Don't freaking break my face open while we're just here in the living room. Don't do it. She's like, okay, no big deal. And so I put them up. And so I just throw a couple light ones. And she clocks me so hard. Like behind my ear, like swack, and I'm. And she's like, "Oh goodness, sorry, sorry." I was like, "Wow." I did. I did feed her a quick one though. She got pow. Yeah, easy, easy. You better don't get smart. <laughs> get don't get smart. But it's cool. Boxing is the thing that happens to you. How do you know you're a boxer? Because there's a guy in front of you who is boxing you. That's how you know. And so Paul's metaphor on this whole idea of the Christian race breaks down and he turns it into something different. Now, it's not just a race, now it's a fight. And Paul gives us this clutch of words that is just so cool. He says, I beat my body and I make it a slave. This is where we get the words. This is where we got the knuckles. I beat my body and I make it a slave. Do you know what's really interesting to me? is that if you will give your body every single thing that your body craves and your body wants, can you imagine where you would be today? <laughs> right? Some of you are like, I probably shouldn't think about that. Exactly. It will take you bad places, correct? Maybe some of those things for you would be positive things. I would run. I would just run and I would run and I would work out and I would exercise all the time and that would be so, so good and I would absolutely love it. And what would suffer? What would suffer? I would work. I would work all the time. If I could do whatever my body wanted to do, I would work 24 hours a day. That's what I would love to do. What would suffer? 
You see, because here's the deal. The body is the helpmate to who you are. The body is the, check this out, the helper to who you are. You are in this body. It is along with you, helping you. It's not in charge. Have you ever seen a house that's ran by children? That's a picture of what that looks like when the body's in charge. A house where just the kids are in charge. The kids call the shots. They tell the mom and dad the way everything is going to be. That's what it looks like when the body's in charge. The kids come in and they say, this is the way it's going to be. And mom and dad's like, okay, well, just don't be mad, Junior, and whatever. And off they go. They live in the basement for 150 years. They, they scream at mom to bring more Kool-Aid and macaroni. That's just what it does. And the whole thing is this. The body's job is to be subject to who I am, not vice versa. So what Paul says, and this is what's crazy, is that this is metaphorical and not metaphorical. I beat my body and I make it a slave. I have to deprive my body so that I can choke it out, so that I can keep it in this place to where I'm the one that's in charge. I've shared this with you before. This is how I see the metaphor play out in my own life. Um, I know this is a repeat, but let me, let, me, let me share this with you. I oftentimes see my own life as a version of me is driving, and there's a version of me in the back seat. The version of me in the front seat always has good intentions, wonderful intentions. I really care about people and I want to do the right thing. I want to please the Lord in what I do and what I say, how I act, how I direct traffic. And when people don't go through the stoplights the right way, I want to do the right thing. I really want to. But there's this other guy, the old me, who's got other ideas. He notices certain people in crosswalks when he shouldn't notice people who are walking in the crosswalk. He's like, yo, 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 check her out. And I'm like, yo, uh, don't need any help from you at all, at all. He's like, yo, yo, I got an idea. Yo, pull over, pull over over here, pull over over here. I'm like, no, like I don't need any help with any direction that you got for me. And he keeps it up all the time. You know what we ought to do today? You know what we ought to do today? And what Paul says is this, your responsibility as a Christian is to take your right elbow and throw it into the back seat as hard as you possibly can in hopes to clip the eyebrow of the old you that's sitting back there. Wham! No. Shut it down. That's my responsibility. But he doesn't stop there. The word that he uses, hupo piazzo, is the Greek word, hupo piazzo. And that is to black my own eye. It's my responsibility to black my own eye. And if I can't do it, it's my responsibility to find somebody else who can black my own eye. And if you find yourself always tripping and falling and pleasing the body all the time, it's probably time you get a hold of somebody else who can step in and say, do you need me to black your eye? Yeah, I need you to. That's a requirement somebody who's going to be in our life who's going to dot us for us the next part is this I now treat myself as a captive meaning I shackle myself so after I clock this version of me that's in the back seat barking orders it's my job to handcuff him to put him in subjection 
to lead him like a captive, like somebody who I just got from war. Come with me, you're coming with me. He needs to be humiliated. He needs to be put in his place. I need to bring him with me. That's my responsibility to keep my body in check, my heart, my mind, my soul, my person, to keep me in check. What Paul is saying is this very thing. So his metaphor on the race breaks down, and he takes it to boxing to say, and this is the reason why. Then he goes to the next place. And my whole point in doing this, blacking my own eye, taking my own self hostage and captive, it's so that when I'm done preaching, I will not be disqualified for the prize. This is what this is about. 1 Corinthians 9.27 I beat my body and I make it a slave so that after I've preached, I cannot be disqualified for the prize. There's going to be a moment to where we will step into the presence of God. And that will be this moment of the prize, the crown of life that's talked about in the book of Revelation that we receive the commendation from Jesus Christ that we have actually done it. So my question is this, are you putting in the work? Are you putting in the work? 